a member of the fellowship who shall remain nameless, uh, stopped me one time and said, Steve, he said, I really like your preaching. Oh, <laughs> do you? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and what is it about, you know, about my preaching that particularly touches you? And I'm thinking, you know, oh, is it my, my eloquence? Um, is it my perceptive insight into the word of God? Is it the power with which I preach? Well, he said, you keep them short. <laughs> <clears throat> and I should like to just point out to that person that I am the most dangerous of preachers, for I am not wearing a watch. We're continuing our series on Psalms this morning. And uh, we've come to Psalm 71. And just to say, uh, I'm going to read you a bit from a commentary that uh, I came across. It says, this psalm is also not easy to outline. Psalm 71 is one of the least remarkable psalms for many people. (laughs) Hardly anybody has a favorite verse from this psalm. Many phrases seem to be taken from other psalms. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Never let, never, uh, let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. And those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. Sorry, uh, I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation.
your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches the heavens. You who have done great things. Who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Uh, I was talking to an old friend last night. He pointed out that David is probably one of the most finely drawn characters uh, in, the, in the Bible. We know him from when he was a ruddy youth. Uh, we know him as a soldier and a musician and as a politician. We know him as he moved into old age. We know him to the point where he couldn't keep his feet warm in bed. The psalm is probably written uh, during Absalom's revolt. So David is older. He's uh, getting on a bit. Um, probably even older than me. And it's closely related to Psalm 31, which was written during uh, Saul's persecution. And in actual fact, there are enormous similarities in it. And some would say that um, this psalm is probably a bit of a, uh, a refresh and makeover of the, of the early one. Uh, and that may be true um, because, uh, first of all, he wrote them both. Uh, secondly, the circumstances were similar. And thirdly, well, to be honest, that's what we do, uh, isn't it? In actual fact, we, we do it these days with psalms, don't we? We take a psalm, we put a new song to it, we add a bit, you know, we turn left at the crossroads and, and we put it all together. And then we've got something that's based on the psalm, which is relevant for praise and worship now. So it's very possible that that's what David was doing. Um, I, I think one of the things to bear in mind, if this was written during Absalom's revolt, one of the things which David was finding tough is that uh, this was a time when the chickens were coming home to roost, uh, really. This is a time when consequences of earlier actions were being visited upon him. So it's written by David in his old age, but it's relevant to those of any age, really. And, and if those of a fewer years, the younger amongst us are preparing to switch to standby uh, at this point, can I just remind you that there is still no cure for the common birthday. <laughs> Though within the psalm, David recognises that he is old. The psalm is about a great deal more than coping with advanced years. But it is written from the standpoint of a life that's been long and eventful. And from the standpoint of a life that was continuing to be eventful, not necessarily for welcome reasons, for David was again in trouble. Now our passage this morning begins with these words. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. 
In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Now verse 3, something a little odd is, is happening really. For in it, David is asking God to be who he already is. When he was feeling vulnerable and set upon, essentially he's saying, God is my rock and fortress, so please God, be my rock and fortress. Uh, Or as one commentator put it, be my rock of refuge, you who continually command and save me, because you are, in fact, my rock and fortress. I'm going to read that again. Be my rock of refuge, you who continually command and save me, because you are, in fact, my rock and fortress. Uh, it's been noticeable this morning in our, in our worship that uh, we've actually been touching on some of the names of God. We've been touching on some of the things that he has done which have eternal consequences. We've been touching on something uh, greater than thank you Lord for putting breakfast on the table. We've been going to the eternal and we've been saying thank you Lord for you have created everything. Now, he did put breakfast on the table. Let's not miss that out. But we've been just going at that higher level, haven't we? Um, there are so many names for God in the Bible. I mean, we do not have time. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't have enough paper to list them all. But let's have a go. Okay. Who is he already? He's the Lord our God. The Lord our sovereign. The Lord Most High, the everlasting God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord our maker, the eternal creator, the Lord who is present, the Lord who is jealous, the God who is sufficient, the Lord our provider, our banner, our healer, our peace, our righteousness, our sanctifier, our shepherd. He is love. So when we are saying to God, please be who you already are, this is who he already is. David doesn't ignore the specifics of his situation, which is to say he, he's still in trouble. Uh, it still hurts. But he zeroes in first and foremost on who God already is. So in the same way, if we're sick, we can say to our Lord, you're my healer, so please be my healer. If we're stressed, we can say to our Lord, you're my peace, so please be my peace. If we're in want, we can say to the Lord, you are my provider, so please be my provider. Now, uh, some of you know about my, my health problems. Um, I am considerably improved, but still not right. And a lot of you have prayed for me um, to get well. And it, I have to be dead honest now. I hope you will forgive me for this. But I've known it that people, they, they put their hand on me. They want to pray for me. I know that they love me and they care for me. I, I am very touched by their willingness uh, to pray for me. But they're not quite sure how to start. Okay, now there isn't a formula. There isn't a way But for me, when I'm praying, I say, Lord, you are my healer, so please be my healer. When I'm praying, that's how I'll 
how I'll do it. I, I, I don't need to talk him into it. I don't need to sell him on the fact that it would be a good thing if he healed me. I just say to you, well, this is who you are. Be who you are, Lord. Now, for me, uh, one of the spurs to get to know God better <laughs> is to get to know who he already is. I've not plumbed the depths of his character yet, and it is my life's work. Okay, I want to know who he already is. And if I can use a Nigel phrase, being naughty. Okay, speaking personally, I find it easier if I'm calling upon the name of the Lord, if I already have a name in mind. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If I have a name in mind, when, the, when we use that phrase, calling on the name of the Lord, it helps me if I have a name. You know, so uh, I'm calling on the name of the Lord, my healer. I'm calling on the name of the Lord, my peace. Okay, I'm calling on the name of the Lord, my creator. Okay, uh, now again, just be careful. This is not a formula. It's something which I personally find helpful. So when we're meeting with God uh, privately, or when we come together for, for corporate uh, worship or ministry, whether we're bringing uh, pressing burdens, uh, whether or not we're in trouble, the place to start is our recognition of who God already is. And I was very struck this morning in the worship that that is exactly what we did. And uh, I also note that you all came up with names that weren't in my list. Uh, great, you know, let's go for more. Now, some of us might remember uh, are being led into worship a few Sundays ago with 1 Peter 2, 9, which says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And on that occasion, we were exhorted to be who we are, uh, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. Now, we've got to remember we brought nothing into our relationship with God except the stench of sin and the filthy rags on our back. Our relationship with God did not start with us, but with him. There was nothing in our character to recommend us. Our relationship with him is as a result of his character not our own. Yet from God, who is love, comes his act of seismic grace that made it possible for us to stand in his wonderful light. And we stand as a community whose existence and purpose stem from his choice, a choice he made. We stand as a community of individuals who can approach God directly, a community who is royal through his adoption of us into the line of the King of Kings. We stand as a community of individuals bought and paid for at great cost by God and belonging solely to him. So I can look out at you guys and I can say, and if there was a mirror, I'd be in it too, you're chosen. You're a royal priest. You are his special possession. So, 
it's all about really who God already is. And when it's about us, it's really about him. Now, um, I wonder, uh, I'm not sure if we have any school teachers present or retired with us, but does anyone know how many tenses there are in the English language? No, wrong. You'd think so, wouldn't you? And I thought so when I was preparing. How about 13? There are 13. There's an argument. Some say 12. Um, So can I take your advice and stick with the three? Yeah? Past tense, which is about what has already happened. The present tense, about what is happening now. And the future tense, which is about what is yet to happen. And we can very broadly divide the balance of the psalm into these three tenses. As David sings about all three aspects of his relationship with God, his past, his present and his future. And remember, David is singing this. So in regard to his past, we read in verse 5, For you have been, have been my hope, sovereign Lord my confidence since my youth. And in verse 6, from birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. And the first part of verse 17, since my youth, God, you have taught me. In terms of his past, he understood that God was there at the moment of his conception And he sings the song of a man who both recognises God's authority and who puts his hope and confidence in his God from an early age. In the past tense, he can say, I put my hope and my confidence in you. See, David had built up a history with God. He could look back and clearly discern the unmistakable hand of God in his life. Since my youth, he says, you have taught me. Now, two things are very striking. First, that David in his later years was still teachable. And thus God was still teaching him. This was not the song of a man whose walk with God, whose relationship with God had fossilized. In fact, he was still writing songs about God. The second is that whilst David treasured his past with God, he did not live in it. And in regard to David's present, which is to say where he is at the moment he wrote the psalm, we read in verse 8, My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendour all day long. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, God? And the second part of verse 17, And to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. And actually what he's doing, again, is he's declaring who God already is. A splendid God, a righteous God, a great God, a God whose deeds are to be marvelled at. And the person that God already is is not dependent on the circumstances of David. And the person that God already is is not dependent on my circumstances or yours. And in verse 17, he links his past with the present, where he first says, Since my youth, God, you have taught me. 
And to this day, I declare your marvellous deeds. Now, we, we, we get into a thing here where um, declaring marvellous deeds, it's actually saying, isn't it, what, what God has done. Okay. Um, uh, I, would, I would like it known that I am not nor never have been a strict Baptist. Okay. But... <laughs> <laughs> I remember in my non-strict Baptist days uh, that there used to be a thing called a testimony. And uh, whoever was leading me would say, you know, um, and so-and-so has a word of testimony for us. See, and whoever it was would, would truck to the future, to the, to the front and the, to the future. <laughs> Yeah, the end of the sermon, uh, would come along and would say, God has done this in, in my life. Uh, yesterday, last week, in my, in my circumstances. And sometimes it would be a hugely significant, miraculous thing. It would be worthy of a big wow. And other times it was, it was relatively small and it was relatively domestic, but it meant a lot a lot to them and I've got to be honest I used to send that up a bit you know I've grown up a little since then but I used to I used to send that up a bit but I'm do you know I miss I miss those testimonies I miss the encouragement when someone comes along and says this is what God has done and I was just I was just uh, meditating really on why not just why we don't do it, but why I don't do it. For I have much to praise God for. And I think one of the things, we, we were a bit frightened to be like the, you know, the guy at the temple. Do you remember the parable of the widow's might? You know, thank you, Lord, I'm not like, you know, him. You know, we're a bit frightened to sort of feel that we're setting ourselves up. Saying, you know, oh, you know, God has done this for me. When what it is, is God has done this for me. Okay? And that's, that's the testimony I look for. God has done this for me. And it, testimony, the, I mean, the word is a court word. It, it, it comes from the whole, um, the whole concept of someone giving evidence in a court. Okay? This is the evidence that I can give about what happened. That's what a testimony is. And it isn't just something we do in the context of a meeting, although I love it when we do. It's actually something we do in context of the way we live our life and the way we are um, at work you know, and at school and wherever it might be. Our testimony actually, though we don't realise it, we are giving evidence. We give evidence by what we do and we give evidence by what we say. So I'm, I'm a, many of you know I, I, I work... Uh, um, in, in Wrexham and my contract is, is up at the end of October so as things stand at the end of October I will be out of work and I have a number of colleagues I work very closely with and they're in the same boat as me and they are very unhappy about being in this situation they're agitated they're upset um, it's doing things like stopping them sleeping 
And finally, one of them said to me, and what, why, why are you so laid back about this? And here was my word of testimony. I did not ever have a right to this job. How on earth this company hired me with my health record beats the heck out of me. Because I never would have hired me. And as a Christian, I can only say that this job for me is a miracle. It's a miracle. And how can I get upset at the ending of something that I never deserved? How can I get upset about something which by every reasonable rule in the book I just should not have received? How can I get upset about that? And surely the God that provided for me then is going to provide for me later. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't have a handle on that. Um, but that is what God is going to do. You, you can imagine there was a somewhat stunned response. <clears throat> okay. This isn't, hey, look at me, I'm clever. Okay. Because I'm the guy with a heart condition. God did this. God did this. Okay. And they struggled to see any other rational solution to why. I remember still getting a phone call from the, uh, the, uh, the nurse. And uh, I'd been working there a couple of weeks. And, and the occupational nurse rang up. She said, I'm looking at your records. And there was a long silence. I said, yes. She said, are these true? <laughs> I said, yes. She said, so you've got, and then she listed it. I said, yes, that's right. Have they hired you? Yes, they've hired me. I've been <laughs> long silence, clock ticking. Oh, blow it. She said, I'll put you down as fit for the job. <laughs> I would never have hired me. <laughs> so, you know, this was God. This was the hand of God. And my testimony is God did this. And I don't know what God's going to do in the future, but I know he's got it in his hands. Okay, now, I know that there are others who have just astonishing testimonies of what God is doing and has done. And, and um, you know, just a, a word of general encouragement. You know, let it be known. Let it be known that this God, this amazing God, has done these things. And remember that for us, it's really all about him. Yeah? Now, there are some questions that come out of this part of the psalm, particularly for younger people. Um, and I'll just be, I'll just, I'll fire the bullet straight, if you don't mind. Who teaches you? Um, is it God? Or is it your mates or the TV or music or fashion or something else? Who teaches you? Okay. Where is your character being built? And for the rest of us, do we glorify him by telling anyone who will listen about him? Do we tell who he is? Do we tell his names? Do we tell of the journey we've been on with him? And do we declare his marvellous deeds? So then to the future. There's a lot of future, have you noticed? Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. As for me, I will always 
have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. You will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. You will increase my honour and comfort once more. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. I think the word will is in there 11 times. You're very welcome to count up, although not until after the sermon has finished. We're reading 1 Samuel 30, 13, an encounter between David and an Egyptian slave who is the property of an Amalekite. And it went like this. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? And he said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. When David sings, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. As Spurgeon puts it, David was not tired of his master and his only fear was lest his master should be tired of him. Mm. Now, let's be absolutely clear. God cherishes those who have walked a distance with him. He's preparing to greet them with this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. The other thing is, do not forsake me when my strength is gone. Well, guys, a lot of you know that I've been exactly there. I've been where I can't get up the stairs. Okay, I've known that. And my testimony is God does not forsake you when your strength is gone. David notes a particular privilege of the older Christian in verse 18, that of declaring God's power to the next generation. Although he's already noted in in verse 15, um, though I know not how to relate them all. Um, So we've got to testify to a powerful God, to our kids, to the younger generation. Um, When Belinda and I were on holiday, one breakfast time we found ourselves seated at a table with an elderly elderly gentleman. Uh, He had many years on him. And he was telling us of his experiences as a fire watcher in the Second World War. And it was only when I realised that they were only the people at our table still in the room and that all the other tables were set for lunch did I realise that we'd been absolutely spellbound by his stories, by his background. Okay. We have a duty and a privilege to express, 
to the younger generation, and I count as a younger generation anybody younger than me. Um, yeah, laughing over here. Um, to express the, the amazing things that God has done, okay, based upon the amazing person that God is. For David, uh, the clear implication here that there is more of God than there is time to relate. Okay. But reading this, I think that he was prepared to give it a go. You know, he wasn't going to stop till the time ran out. Now, those who were at Borderlands may have heard uh, a word of prophecy given to Dave Fellingham. Um, I don't know Dave. Dave, if you're listening, I don't know you. Um, he's a grandfather. He gave a, uh, a seminar on the changing seasons of life uh, at Borderlands. And he's someone who over the years, his ministry has touched many lives. And I, I paraphrase the word to you as this. You've got another 20 years in you, Dave, says the Lord. Okay. Now, Dave, David, was, he, he's been part of New Frontiers since pretty much it, it began. And there are big changes in New Frontiers. And I'm sure he was wondering, well, what, what do I do? Where do I fit in? And what God said was, no, I have not finished with you yet. Mm. I've stuff for you to do. Okay. Many of us now older Christians who through their long faithfulness and their long time walking with God have, as David put it, become a sign to many. Not because their life has been a breeze, uh, not because they're strangers to difficulty or even tragedy, but because of their testimony of the hand of God in the years of their lives. And we have to seek them out and hear them relate God's power. Yeah. In, our, you know, in our time, it's, it's all about youth, really. It's all about trying to look young, be young. Um, I'm failing on both counts, I know. <laughs> um, but there is, a, there is a very specific thing here if you are older then God wants you to relate to the younger generation who he is and what he has done and if you are younger God wants you to go and find them and get them to yeah, yeah. seasons pass and change but our master does not tire of us God does not retire those still serving in a foreign land he'll come for them uh, with all generations, in power, or he'll quietly call them home. But until then, there is plenty to do. Now the psalm continues with David's personal declarations of intent for the future. I will, over and over again. Um, David might have been older at this point, but he had a future. Um, there's the most appalling uh, phrase. I think it was used in a television program once. It was called God's waiting room. Okay, it's a dre dreadful phrase. Um, but actually, <laughs> I stopped and thought about it. Um, we're all waiting for glory, aren't we? Yeah, we're sojourners. We're, we live in this foreign land now, but we're waiting to go home. But none of us have a greater expectation because of our age. We're all waiting, aren't we, 
Okay, we have the same future. So David, with all his wills, he said, I will hope, I will praise, I will proclaim, I will be restored. I will sing, I will shout, I will tell. So it's about the God who already is. And when it's about us, it's really about him. And our response is to hope and to praise, to proclaim, to be restored, to sing, to shout and to tell. Now, uh, I think last time, might have been last time I was preaching, but I said, I said some comment like, well, you know, because we're all English, we're a bit buttoned up. And, and uh, amongst the abuse hurled at me for that, uh, that phrase, one was pointing out that actually, no, we're not all English. Um, and in fact, at the time, there were many nations represented in the congregation. Uh, the other was pointing out that even amongst those who might be English, they were really Welsh. Okay. So, we're all Anglo-Saxons here. Um, <laughs> apart from the odd Viking and a few Huns. Um, I'm just digging myself in deeply. Well, I'm just, uh, carry on, carry on, carry on. I can only speak for myself, okay? I don't mind praising. I can do that. I think I'm a bit buttoned up as to where I will. Okay, you might struggle to find me praising in the office on a Monday morning. Um, shout. Well, you know, even in church, I'm not big at that. Okay, I, I, I'm not big at that. And I bridle at being told to shout. Um, it would appear that when I shout, it's usually because the children have done something wrong. Okay, rather than me proclaiming loudly at the top of my voice the wonders of God. Tell. Yeah, yeah, if I'm in the mood, but not always. Hope, well, yes, my hope is in the Lord. Um, I've been closer to meeting him face to face than many of you. And I, 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 I've got to say that hope is important. Uh, proclaim. I'm probably five out of ten on that one. Um, who do I proclaim to? I'm, I'm okay in here, actually. I don't have too much trouble, as long as it doesn't require me to shout. Um, <laughs> but out, outside of a church meeting, I'm maybe not so good. Okay, I don't wander into the office and go, we had the most amazing service this morning. What God did was, okay, now... Uh, I'd appreciate your prayer on that one because I, I'd like to. Um, I'd like to be someone that does that. Hope, praise. David is praising in the midst of real trouble. His life is in danger and he's still praising. Okay? Proclaim. David is in the midst of real trouble and he's still telling people about how amazing God is and the amazing things God has done in his past. Be restored. Well, if you know Jesus Christ is your saviour, you've been restored. Okay. Sing. Apparently, only 2% of the population of Great Britain can't sing, genuinely. 
Okay, but 36% think they can't. Okay. Now, I'll do you a deal. You sing, and if you're in the 2%, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's entirely possible that there are folk here this morning who, who let the first thing on the list, hope, hope in God. Uh, we all place our hope somewhere. Uh, our job, our career, our family, um, our income, our pension. And, and for lots of people, I think they place their hope in wishful thinking. Um, I'm here this morning to say that hope placed anywhere but in God is completely and fatally misplaced. Uh, in the psalm we've been looking at this morning, uh, the outcome of hope in God is clear. For you have been my hope, wrote David. You will restore my life again. Place your hope in God and he will restore you to eternal life. Uh, if that is you, we'd love to talk to you uh, a bit more about this. So myself or Nigel or Phil um, would be very happy to talk that through. Now, God has laid it strongly on my heart when I was, uh, I, I was preparing this, and, and there were a lot of times when I said, are you sure, Lord? So I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, but there are a couple of people here this morning who have a particular problem with the proclaim, shout, and tell bit. Um, you want to? You somehow can't. You're just tightly buttoned up. The drawbridge is up. You'd love to, but you just can't do it. Um, and I do believe the Lord wants to wants particularly to meet with you this morning. Um, <laughs> coming out to the front, I've heard described as the walk of shame. <laughs> okay. All right, it, it's it's not. It's the walk of expectation. Yeah, if this is you then I am going to ask you to come to the front if the musicians would like to come, uh, come forward. Um, just while we sing one last song to, to finish with. Um, and the other thing is, well, if you are seeking God for healing, we would just love to pray for you as well. Okay? So, if you don't know if your hope is not in Jesus, we'd love to talk to you. If you think it's you who's struggling with proclaim, shout and tell, who feels buttoned up, then we'd love to pray with you because God wants to release you. And if you'd like to be prayed for for healing, we'd love to pray for you too.